You're listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. After a couple technical difficulties, this is the latest episode of Artbeat with Dan Fitzmorris. Thanks, Lucy. Good afternoon and welcome to Artbeat. I'm Daniel Fitzmorris from Creative Arts Workshop and today... Despite technical difficulties, we have an amazing lineup of guests here to explore the visual landscape at the New Haven Museum. And if you enjoy the episode, I hope you'll share it with others. And of course, take a visit to the New Haven Museum again if you've been there before or maybe for the first time. Our guests from the museum are Mary Donahue, Amy Durbin, and Julia Morrow. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. Why don't we start with Mary, who's calling in. Go ahead, Mary. Tell us who you are what role you're playing at the museum, how long you've been there, um, any other anecdotes you might want to share before we start the conversation. Sure. I'm Mary Donahue. I'm the assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored Magazine, which is the state's full-color history magazine. But in working with the New Haven Museum, I'm serving as the guest curator for a fabulous new show that will open in the fall called Road Trip which is going to be about where New Haveners went on their vacation and what places impacted them as they were out in their car. Excellent. Thanks, Mary. Uh, Go ahead, Amy. Hi, I'm Amy, and I'm the Director of Education and Visitor Experience at the museum. And I've been there for just over a year and a half. And I learn something new every day. So if you haven't been to the museum yet, you should definitely check it out. And I'm sure you'll hear some fun things about it today. Great. Hi, I'm Julia. I am the coordinator for the Party Morris House for the New Haven Museum. Um, It's a historic house out in Morris Cove, New Haven, and I'm out there every Sunday from 12 to 4 during the summer. So come visit. That's great. Are any of you visual artists in background or training? I'm sorry. Are any of you visual artists in background or training? Nope. Um, I do a lot of arts and crafts, and I did a lot of theater and singing, but I haven't really done a lot of traditional art. What about you, Mary? I bet you might have an arts background. Yeah, I have to say my undergraduate degree is in art history with a minor in studio in textiles. Wow, well, you'll have a lot to lend, and we'll talk more about your exhibit, too. Um, so then the question is, who, who wants to talk about what the museum is? A little bit of background, a little bit of understanding, maybe what would it be like if you've never been there before? What would you, um, what would you experience if you walked in for the first time? Sure, I'll go ahead and field that question. Um, The museum has actually been around in some capacity since 1862. Um, It was formed in the midst of the Civil War, and it had its first headquarters actually at the brand new City Hall. Oh, do the math on that for me. 1862 Um, means... 154 years now. Wow. Yeah, um, we have the Peabody beat by about three years. You know, just going (laughs) to throw that out there. so uh, we've been in this location, though, since June 8th of 1931 at officially 6 o'clock at night. Uh, we have been collecting um, history, culture, paper, objects, stories uh, from New Haven and people who have visited New Haven for, again, over 150 years. And you can experience that uh, Tuesday through Saturday and every free, or every uh, first Sunday of the month. Um, and we have quite a bit of things uh, on display and hidden in our storage areas. And then also we have a great uh, research library, too, that includes a lot of archives. 
Oh, so if people wanted to come and learn about that period of time or New Haven history, you can come in as a researcher and mm -hmm. do that. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, we've got a great, uh, a lot of things in our archives. We have the arrest warrant for Benedict Arnold when he failed to pay taxes on molasses. Um, and it was actually signed by Roger Sherman, who was the Justice of the Peace. Um, this is when Benedict Arnold was a, a good person, a patriot, versus the traitor that he later became. This kind of interesting story. Um, we have a land grant signed by uh, James Monroe as president. We have a patent signed by Thomas Jefferson as president. And those are just in our archival holdings. Um, on display, we have a cotton gin from Eli Whitney. We have Benedict Arnold's shop sign. We have a shaving kit from British officer during the invasion of New Haven. We have the portrait of Joseph Sinke. We have the portrait or the uh, paintings of the great ship, which is a really great story. Um, we have this amazing piece that was done by uh, Susan Clenard. Um, called, um, or it's, uh, it's from the Lincoln Oak, which fell during Superstorm Sandy on the New Haven Green, and she created this amazing piece of Lincoln uh, holding the nation together. Um, and it's amazing, and it's very uh, visually impactful. When you walk into the museum, people immediately see his head on top of a piece of wood. They don't realize that's actually um, one piece that came from that tree. And then right now we've got stories from uh, far and near, or sorry, far and near, and that's getting a different audience into the museum because these are refugee artists who are living in New Haven. So mm -hmm. people think of us as a historical society, and we are in the sense that we do have the past, but we are also active in the present because we want people to understand that we are um, a cultural hub for the city and that you can learn from the past in the present to change the future. Yeah, I wonder if anyone else could speak to that because I think it's interesting. I sort of consider the museum sometimes like a secret gallery that not everyone knows um, exhibits so much artwork or, or artifacts as artwork. Mm -hmm. um, is that unique among these types of historical cultural places? I think actually from my experience it is. I'm from Virginia and I go to historical societies all the time because I love history, but I also see them as um, the museum of the city. So like the city, the museum of the city of New York does a great job because they are taking uh, historical images and objects, but they're also interweaving current art and current issues like social justice into their gallery spaces. So you have the perfect blend of past and present. Um, so I don't, I feel like it's more apparent in the Northeast and yeah, you know, New York and whatnot, but um, from my experience, I think this is a, a really great path to take. Yeah, Mary, could you make a pitch to visual artists that this is, uh, you know, put this on your list as places to visit after you've been to the Yale Art Gallery and after you've been to the Yale Center for British Art that you should go on a visual exploration of the New Haven Museum? Oh, absolutely. The refugee exhibit that's up now is absolutely gorgeous. And if you look at the, the wonderful architecture of the museum building itself, it's this exquisitely detailed colonial revival building. So it's, it's, a, it's an art piece in and of itself. But the museum does a wonderful job of integrating history and art. They're really all representations of you know, our culture. And the museum does a great job of combining those. In the exhibit that I'm going to be working on now called Road Trip for the Museum, we have uh, the building block of the exhibit is fine art photographs from Richard Longstreth that were published last year in a book called Road Trip. And those art quality photographs are going to be coupled with actual New Haven 
memories, mementos, souvenirs, and vintage Connecticut photographs. So it's going to be very much of a, this very culturally rich, visually rich exhibit that'll explore our sense of place and travel and adventure, but will include both of those categories, art and history. Excellent. Good point. And I didn't think about the building, but that is really, and that might be what many, many people know, or, or that beautiful building that you pass all the time on Whitney. Um, so before we go into those particular projects, I think we should talk about your current exhibits and what's coming up next. But I wonder, um, Julia, what is, what's something that uh, an exhibit or a piece, something that stands out to you, if, if someone's going for the first time and they'll say, I'm going to see Julia's favorite thing, what would that be? Well, my favorite exhibit at the museum right now is the From Clocks to Lollipops, and it shows um, all the great things that were manufactured in New Haven. And as our country's manufacturing is kind of going down and up and down and up, it's good to see the past and how that might be represented in the new future. Right. So there, so clocks and lollipops then we created. <laughs> my favorite piece is a um, like a corset type object, so like old-fashioned women's underwear. I just find it very interesting. Oh, wow. And how long has that exhibit been up? How long will it be up? It's been up for over a year and a half, and it um, was only supposed to be a temporary exhibit. And people have been asking when it's going to close so often so that they can come and visit that we have decided to keep it up um, on a semi-permanent basis and just uh, change out the objects that we have on display. Well, that's very smart. Well, that's good then. So you could go anytime and you can see what we've manufactured in the yes, past. Yes. And then... Um, what about you, Mary? What's a, a standout piece, a standard exhibit for you in the past or the present? Oh, gosh. I think they're, they're, the painting of the Amistad captive, Sinke, is a, certainly a standout. It's a nationally known story. It's an internationally known story. And the fact that the New Haven Museum interprets that event that happened here in New Haven is really exciting. Uh, but I have to admit, the other fun thing that I liked, that I just noticed the other day, is they've got this uh, tear sheet from a catalog of bird cages that were produced in New Haven. And that sounds extremely dull until you see the drawing, the etching in the advertisement, and then this pagoda roofed bird cage in all its ornate, you know, Japanalia glory. It's just a really wonderful thing. And I just noticed it the other day. Wow, so you could discover things at any time. Come more than once. You can see a whole lot of different things. What about you, Amy? Um, there's too many things to count. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. the one thing that I go back to constantly is the Wadsworth map from 1748. Um, a lot of people know the nickname of the Elm City, but they don't realize where it all started from. And it started with a pair of elm trees that were donated to the Reverend Pierpont um, from a farmer with the last name Cooper in 1686. And these trees were actually on this map, and they're named. One is named Cooper and one is named Pierpont after the person who gives them and the person who receives them because he didn't have enough money to um, donate to the building of the Reverend's house. And so he donates these two saplings and it kind of rolls over into then James Hill House playing a role in it, too. So this map is really cool for the trees and you can see who lived in New Haven in 1748 and their occupation. So it says Isaac Doolittle um, lived, I forget which street, but he is a clockmaker and it's just a really great map. Excellent. Okay. So then let's go to right now at the museum because there are a bunch of great projects going on. Um, and actually, why don't we start actually with Julia because it's very timely. Your work is, is manifest right now only in the summertime for a unique reason, correct? 
Yeah, so I run the historic house out in Morris Cove that the museum owns and operates, and we're um, having a Colonial Olympic event on July twenty no fourth. Yeah, so we're playing <laughs> off of the popularity of Olympics, and we're putting our own spin on it. Um, participants will play Colonial era games, and they get to tour the house and just see the whole beautiful area of Morris Cove. What's the Zika risk this year? Um, I think we're pretty low. It's going to be from 2 to 4 p.m., so it's not prime mosquito time. A couple hours later, it gets pretty buggy out there, though. Good point, good point. Is this something you've done in the past, or is this something new? This is the inaugural year. We're hoping that if it goes well and people seem to like it, that we can make it a yearly thing. And who knows, it might even develop into some sort of community event that lasts whoever knows how long. Oh, okay. And, and and what's the story of this house? I know, so now I'm confusing myself. So there's a museum, which I understand, and we've just talked about, but then in you have this other house, your, your summer home. Yes, so the um, Party Morris house was burned in 1779 by the British during the Battle of New Haven, and the family rebuilt it, and then they lived there for following seven generations um, until William Scranton Party, who was also a Morris descendant, purchased it and left it to the museum upon his death to become what it is today, a historic museum that represents the past of New Haven. And so the house, it's um, not a lot of people know about it. It's kind of out there for New Haven. It's on Lighthouse Road, a couple blocks up from um, Lighthouse Park. And it's just a great beacon to local history. You can see a couple beams are original to the first house. They have char marks on them. We have um, a lot of interesting stories about the house and the battle itself. And you can just learn about an era that is really coming back. We have Turn, the show, and Hamilton is, you know, bringing the revolution into the present. Absolutely. And I know about the concerts from just my own experience, too. So you have the Olympics this mm. year, which is new, but you always bring some people out because you, you put on some, some musical events all summer. Yes, we have the Twilight Concert Series at the Party Morris House. Um, we have already had two shows, and they were great. We had huge turnout. Um, the next one is July 27th, and the band is Wise Old Moon. They're like an Americana folk indie band. I actually listened to some stuff on YouTube recently, and it was great, so I'm excited for that. Um, and the next one is August 10th, and that's Goodnight Moonshine. It's Molly Ventner's new project. She's pretty popular in this area, so I hope a lot of people come out for that. And you have the house open at that time, too. You could see the sort of the architecture. Yeah, so the grounds open at 6 and music starts at 7. Um, so we give people a chance to settle in the, their picnic blankets and chairs. You can come toward the house. Um, the Spuds Your Way truck will be at the show on the 27th. And then on the show on August 10th, we're having um, Frank Andrews Mobile Kitchen Pizza, Wood Fire Pizza. So you can have fresh New Haven-style Wood Fire Pizza right on the lawns while you're watching the show. Okay, great. And... and I thought about the museum this morning because in the Daily Nutmeg, there's this great write-up that I read through this morning about the current exhibit that features a lot of refugee artists. Um, Amy or, or Mary, do you want to talk more about what that is and when that duration is or even what the inspiration was from that? I know the curator couldn't be here today to sort of talk about that, but um, let's channel some of that anyways. Um, it came out, I believe, uh, our... The director of the museum, Margaret Ann Takashewski, um, was listening to Susan Clenard at an awards speech. And Susan was talking about her work with local refugees through IRIS. And Susan is the curator Susan of this the, exhibit. Yeah, she's the curator. Um, and Margaret Ann kind of put like A and B together and thought, why can't we be a space for these artists and showcase their work? They are part of this community. They have stories to share. And art brings people together. 
And so Susan was our guest curator. Um, she'd work with these artists. Um, she still works with these artists. They have uh, all different mediums. Um, there's uh, sculpture and uh, photography and uh, wood carving. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful exhibit because it's not only their work on display, it's also their voice. Uh, they have to, um, Susan asked them to write an artist statement. And they uh, are all expressing how art is a healing power and how it can bring different cultures together and it can express new ideas. Um, and so we had a wonderful opening with, um, or um, an exhibit uh, opening night, I would say, um, with Iris a few weeks ago. And it was a really great turnout because we got to hear from the artists and we got to hear from Susan and we got to hear from uh, Chris of Iris and all the great work they're doing. And actually in September, on September 8th, we're having a panel discussion with the artists. Um, and it's going to be moderated by um, a writer from the New York Times. So, and it's going to be a free event. So if you're in New Haven on September 8th, you should come and see this or come listen to this event and it'll be great. That's amazing. I've, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that it's very, very moving and interesting. And and you said you, you feel like you've gotten a lot of different um, audience members mm -hmm. coming to see the exhibit. Yes. Um, we were open on World Refugee Day in June. Um, and it is reaching a different audience in the community alone. Um, more contemporary artists, I believe, are coming into the museum, which is great. Um, refugee families are coming in who are now, you know, citizens of New Haven or working on citizenship. Um, and so they're getting to experience a place that originally is intended to capture New Haven history. And now we're capturing um, new New Haveners history, which is even better because they become part of the culture in the area. And it's a great blend, I think, um, just showing like the global effect of art on the local level. And it was great to have the artists there because they got to share their stories in person. So, yeah, we can read their statements on the wall and it's a starting off point. Um, but this just kind of takes it uh, one step further um, and more in-depth experience. Yeah. Mary, have you been able to see this exhibit? Oh, it's beautiful. It's got it's powerful and it's lovely. Is there a, a a piece or an artist or someone um, that, that you think is really standout or something that sort of took you by surprise? I think, I, I don't think I have one particular piece, but I will say that it's staged beautifully. So each piece is allowed to have its own powerful moment. Like Susan Clenard for that then, right? Mm -hmm. um, so then let's talk a little more, Mary. I know, I know the museum has lots of different things going on. And how long is, is this particular refugee exhibit up? It'll be up until September 10th. Until September 10th. And then at which point we'll turn to you, Mary, and, and talk a little bit more about your project, um, which is about road trips. And that's what follows this exhibit, correct, mm -hmm. Mary? Yes, exactly. We'll be open in the fall. But as you know, uh, the new one of the newest trends in in museums is crowdsourcing, and so we're right now we're at the stage we're at with this exhibit is we're crowdsourcing memories and artifacts and mementos and souvenirs from uh, every folks in Greater New Haven. The museum is reaching out. We want to interview people to get their to tape their road trip stories. We want to scan their photographs and borrow their mementos to put into the exhibit. So we're looking for things like postcards, tickets, menus, ashtrays, shot glasses, or matchbooks. I know um, 
a lot of people have said, oh, they have a favorite childhood souvenir bank or a snow globe or salt and pepper shakers, or my husband claims he had a stuffed alligator that was a souvenir. Um, and we also have gotten some, some 1964 World's Fair paperweight type material oh, wow. in. So we've got a day coming up August 2nd from 12 to 6 p.m. at the museum where we will be open that whole time for residents to bring in photos. We can scan them right there and hand them back to them and bring their souvenirs and their mementos down. We will take things on a temporary loan and include as much as we can in the exhibit. You can also uh, contact us through Facebook and send us that type of a photo of that kind of material or a little memory, or you can email us too. But uh, I think one of uh, Margaret Ann's strengths at the museum is this idea that she com she's combining local history with, with fine art as well. So with these wonderful Richard Longstreth photographs of iconic roadside architecture like diners and gas stations and motels and other kinds of roadside attractions, uh, I think this is just going to be a really fun exhibit. And we want to get a wide range of, of different communities and different age groups, because I, I think there's a, a big difference between when you're the parent and you're driving on the road trip and you have to turn around and say to your children things like, don't make me stop this car, don't make me turn around, uh, as, as it is when you're the child in the back seat. And we'd sort of like to get both sides of that experience of the road trip. Yeah, let's so talk about the photos really in a minute. Fun. Yeah, but I thought this idea of crowdsourcing it, and I, is this something new for the museum? Have you been crowdsourcing your exhibits for a while? We've been trying to, especially for our neighborhood exhibits, um, our dream is to have a show for every neighborhood. And we've been working with Diane in Dixwell at the library for the longest time, trying to get people to share their stories of Dixwell and how it's changed and you know the good, the bad, the real. And it's been rather difficult. So we're hoping that this actually works out well. And Mary is the perfect person to, to lead this campaign. Um, and so we even developed a hashtag if they wanted to share um, uh, memories and photos and it's um, uh, NHM road trip. And so you can do that via Twitter and Instagram. Great. And yeah. so, and, and Mary, you're going to connect these things. So it might be a piece of, it might be your husband's stuffed alligator. It could be <laughs> uh, an Instagram photo you take this summer while you're on your road trip, either or, right? Yes. We really want a wide range. I think maybe the golden age of road trips might have been maybe the 40s through the 70s or 80s. But we're interested in New Haveners going out and what they're visiting all the way up to the present. We're also connecting it with the, uh, it's the 50th anniversary of the National Historic Preservation Act. And what is that, that act, that someone, act. Someone give me some history on that. Yeah, that act was signed into law by President Johnson in 1966. And it basically said that historic buildings and places needed to be uh, kept not just as museums, but really as uh, vibrant places that represent our culture and our connectedness. And so we're really going to bring that out in this story, too, because those wonderful seasonal places that you'd stop to eat or um, mid-century modern motels or funky gas stations, they've now all reached that 50-year 
age required by the National Register of Historic Places. And so this is going to be uh, partly a celebration of the fact that it's the 50th anniversary of the National Historic Preservation Act and also of that era of buildings and that type of experience coming into the forefront and being considered historic now. Sure, that that's really interesting. But what um, can I ask you guys who are here? It sounds like Mary's going to submit her husband's stuffed alligator. That's what she told me. <laughs> But, um, I mean, I've certainly been on road trips. I could think about what I would submit. Have you guys submitted anything yet? Um, I've actually thought about it. My family goes to Cape May, New Jersey every single year. We've been there for the last 25 years of my life. And we have a lot of the beach tags. Um, so they're all different designs, little kitschy, you know, crabs and sand castles. And if that's something that they'd be interested in, I'd be willing to bring them down. Oh, I want those. Okay, it's it's done. <laughs> Amy, what have you submitted? I haven't thought of it yet. I know Margaret Ann was really excited about her piggy bank. Like she get really excited when she started telling about the story that she would share this item that she got on a road trip. And I started thinking, I don't think I have anything as cool as that. I have lots of postcards, and I have like receipts from places, and lots of rat cards because I'm that person on a road trip that will like pick up every piece <laughs> of paper at like you know the visitor center when you cross the state line. I know one thing that, that Mary, I just, I'll tell you right away, I might not put in, but I will just tell you about it now, is that when every road trip I've been on, um, and actually every road trip I've been on, I've, I've, we've kept a journal, a collaborative journal, um, what happened on the trip and what's been going on, because there's so much downtime when you're driving. And, and I actually have some of those from my parents when they were t- taking road trips as well. So I've kind of continued some of that tradition, but you might not want all the pages there. You know, sometimes they're boring or crude. <laughs> I think it's a, that's a really interesting idea, though. You had sophisticated parents if they were keeping a travel journal. I'll tell them so. Um, but then what are you going to do with all of this, Mary? I mean, I mean, it's one thing to crowdsource lots and lots of information. And, um, you know, aside from the photos, which I hope we can talk about those too, but, you know, what do you hope to, to connect with? What do you want to derive out of all of this? What's the potential underlying curation, the theme? I think the theme is really this American sense of you know, place, travel, and adventure. And I think that it's a really interesting twist for the museum. The museum normally does things that his, portrays history that happens within the city limits. But this is more of a, an exploration of people in New Haven going out and experiencing the world. And summer's a good time to do that, I suppose. It'll be so nice to be able to relive summer all fall. Exactly. I think it'll be a really fun... Well, the opening will coincide with this uh, October 15th signing of the National Historic Preservation Act. And we'll have a, you know, we'll have a really fun big reception. I'm not sure if Hawaiian shirts are going to be involved yet, but they may be. I think that's probably a requirement. We'll take it from there. So what about the photos then? Because I didn't know about that, but I think that's really interesting. So you're going to pair um, essentially, uh, you know, memorabilia, current and past artifacts with um, these photos. Who was the artist? The the uh, professor, it's, do, it's uh, Dr. Richard Longstreth. 
and he's a nationally renowned architectural historian and um, author. And the book that he produced that came out last year that was published by Universe, which is a Rizzoli imprint, is called Road Trip. It's called Roadside, Road Trip, Roadside America from Custard's Last Stand to the Wigwam Restaurant. And he had crisscrossed America several times for both college and teaching jobs and being in the service and photographed these iconic uh, local uh, two-lane highway type buildings on all these trips he took. So these photographs date from the 60s and 70s, and they're really stunning and they're really evocative. They're, they just are completely different than what you see on a limited access interstate. And I think the idea of traveling across the country and experiencing that very local interpretation of what would be eye-catching and what would grab the, the traveler's fancy and uh, shaping buildings in the shapes of things that would get your attention, like root beer stands in the shape of a root beer keg or gas stations in the shape of a Swiss chalet or uh, an airplane. He's got a lot of great examples in here. And we, I think we're the first museum to exhibit his work from the book. He gave us special access to his slides of uh, the, the entire, entirety of Route 1, for example, which will include a lot of Mid-Atlantic and New England examples that our visitors will probably relate to. So we're excited to feature his work. Yeah, are there any local images? Was he passing through this side of town? We're um, we're going to be examining that and see if he's got any local examples. But we have a um, wide selection of of Connecticut's vernacular roadside architecture uh, photograph, both from vintage postcards and contemporary photographs that I've taken. So we'll have a an array, a wide array of Connecticut's vintage roadside architecture in the exhibit too. Oh, and so and so these are all images he took in the 60s and 70s and just recently published. Yes. Mm -hmm. And is the plan, is he going to, are you, are, you're the first to exhibit the work. Is he thinking on continuing some of that or is, uh, is this a one, a one, one off situation, do you think? I don't know. It's, it's, it was such a wonderful idea that Margaret Ann came up with and she approached him. And so she's really a ground, you know, groundbreaker on that. So I'm not sure if he has other plans, but uh, the book is beautiful and it's available. So anybody that's interested in this topic should definitely grab a copy and get themselves ready for the exhibit. Well, and absolutely people should take that and, and take their images and their current road trip stuff and send it right to you. And we'll reiterate all those ways we can do that um, in a little bit. I wanted to talk to you. This is sort of not in the plan, but I wanted to make sure we covered some of the education side of things too, because I know that um, you mentioned, Mary, I think that, you know, the telling of the Amistad. And I think there's a lot of things like that that um, I learned about when I was learning about the museum. But a lot of people might not know that you you all do a great job animating the exhibits, the artifacts, the the current um, topics you're exploring all of the time with kids. How does that all um, how does that all play out? That's basically me, and um, I have this great part time educator um, whose daughter also works at the museum, so it's a great family fair for them. Um, we see over 1,300 school kids every year. Wow! And we see them preschool all the way up to high school, 
I will say the Amistad is one of our most requested programs, which is great uh, because a lot of people don't realize we have this amazing uh, civil rights story in our backyard, a story that took place uh, 20 years or so before the Civil War even broke out. And it's the first civil rights case that makes it all the way to Supreme Court. Wow, I didn't I didn't know that. I guess I didn't go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just an amazing story and it's very complex. So that is um, and it. It does good and bad things because of the complexity of the cases, um, but that's one of the most requested programs. We also talk a lot about first settlers. So before you go there, is it interactive in that have you you've been there for a year and a half or so? But I mean, there's something very relevant about the oh, Amistad story right now. Do you find you know third and fourth graders or high school kids coming to you with some deeper questions than usual? I wish that were the case. I like to set up the program when they arrive. Um, it's very, uh, lots of open-ended questions. Um, I don't look for right or wrong answers. Uh, this is the first time most of these students have heard of the case. And that's only because, you know, you have so many things you have to teach every day in school. So they, we help the teachers with this part particular subject. Um, and it's an interesting way to go about it because as we move through the gallery space, there's a lot of compare and contrast of visuals. Um, art that was done in the 1840s after John Warner Barber interviewed the captives. Art that was done by Howell Woodruff 100 years later based on records. And so we put in like the context of when these images were made. So which is more violent? Which is less violent? What do you see that's maybe more historically accurate um, as we move through the gallery space? And it's also an interesting now and then because we have the jail um, jail cell keys on display uh, where the captives were held. And the students don't realize that the jail cell for New Haven was actually right next to City Hall where the Amistad Memorial sculpture is today. Right. So that's another, you know, change over time. Um, also, the role played by translators. So we're getting back into more of a cultural thing, too. You know, the Mendy captives don't speak English but they understand democracy and they understand justice. So how do they tell their side of the story? Um, because it's these two Spaniards against them. Mm -hmm. And of course you have all this amazing artwork and artifact yeah. to bring the story alive to them. Right. And we don't end with their um, trip back to Africa, back to Sierra Leone. Um, there's the study for the Center of Justice um, about the Amistad at um, Tulane University in New Orleans. And it's all about social justice today. So what can we learn from these people and their struggle? And what is still present in today's uh, social justice give and take? Um, so they're learning about what happened, but I'm trying to mix in like, you know, what's in the news these days that you can relate to what happened. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge to have. Absolutely. And you said this was the most popular trip, but what are the other choices? What are other oh, educational yeah. modules you've <laughs> you, got? You can learn about first settlers. So who were the Puritans? Why did they move to Connecticut or Quinnipiac as it was back then? Um, and who did they interact with? So the Quinnipiacs is another requested program. Um, we don't know much about the Quinnipiac because they don't exist as a recognized tribe today. Um, they... They were here. They settled the land. They were extremely nice. They were very friendly. They had a habit of going into the Puritan houses during church on Sunday when the Puritans weren't home because they were curious. And the church leaders had to have a little talk with them about, you know, 
we love that you are very nice to us. We just appreciate if you would ask permission before we you come into our homes and we're not there, which makes sense. Um, so it's another way to talk about, you know, how you treat others. So it's constantly, you know, um, civic engagement, you know, playing well with others, learning how to interact with things that you're unfamiliar with. And what kinds of art and artifact do you have from that period, this this particular settler story? Um, for that, we focus a lot on the furniture um, that was around, and we uh, use some images and uh, wood carving prints that we have showing uh, the first map of New Haven, the original nine squares, um, what the meeting house looked like, how the green has changed over time, and how it's still a, the center of the community. So we use a lot of the paintings of the green and some photographs as well. Um, and then we've got uh, the New Haven Green is another well, much requested program because it shows you exactly how the green has changed, what has been done to it, um, how it's used. People don't realize the city does not own the New Haven Green. Ooh, one of our best kept secrets. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a great thing, actually, that they don't. And it's just five people. And when one of them passes away, the remaining four pick the person to take over. So it's like New Haven's oldest society really secret society when you think about it um a lot of people don't realize that for over 100 years new haven was the co-capital of connecticut and there was a neoclassical state house on the green right behind center church there's no sign of that building being there today and the only way you would know that is if you looked at a map or you looked at a photograph we have in our archive collection i just have to ask and maybe someone else knows there's something about about amy i don't know but amy not being from new haven how did you get all of this information what is your what is the bug that 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 bit you that caused all of this to to matter to you and to to get in your brain i mean i fell into museum work in virginia and i don't know why new haven and connecticut and new england as a whole like drew me to it and when I arrived, I had this like conundrum, like I know all about James Monroe. I know all about Virginia and Thomas Jefferson. I know nothing other than Roger Sherman. And that's what I learned from that movie, 1776. <laughs> and, you know, I knew he was more than a cobbler. I knew he was more than a lawyer and a statesman. But like there had to be more to New, New Haven than just Roger Sherman, who was born in Massachusetts. Um so I started reading all the journals the society or the museum had printed way back in like the 40s. And then I started reading all these other books. And I have a great coworker, um, the photo archives director, uh, Jason, who studied history. And so he is a great source, too. But that's the thing about the museum is I learned everything about New Haven's history at the museum. Uh, that's the answer I was hoping you would say. So the bug is called the New Haven Museum and it and it has it's hired you and bit you and uh, <laughs> it's open to everybody. So I suppose we could all learn, although I think you've out historyed everybody today. Bravo. She puts me to shame. Oh man. So <laughs> before we go, I definitely, definitely want to make sure we, we reiterate all of the things that we should reiterate on what's happening at the museum, what you can connect with, um, because I don't want anyone to miss it. I mean, if, if you're not excited to go to the museum yet, this is your last pitch to say so. Mary, why don't you give them your, your hurrah before everybody goes away on their road trip? What do they need to know about being part of it? We can, you can connect so many ways with us. You can connect on our Facebook page, our Twitter, which is at NHM Road Trip, our email, education at newhavenmuseum.org. Or come and bring your stuff in. Talk to us on August 2nd from 12 to 6 p.m. 
And I think you mentioned too, you could, you could, in, in any format, you could use the hashtag NHM road trip with whatever you're Instagramming or putting on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll connect all of that together too, right? Yes, that's right. Perfect. And we'll look forward to the exhibit this fall, maybe with Great. some of our own work in it. What should we remember about the, about going to Lighthouse Park, going to Morris and seeing some amazing art? Uh, so the Party Morris House is open Sundays from 12 to 4. We're at 325 Lighthouse Road. Um, our We have a Twilight concert series. The next one is uh, the 27th of July. And following that one is August 10th. Um, and we're open for Colonial Olympics on July 24th. And for that, you can check out our Facebook page at New Haven Museum. There's an event and it leads you to a Google registration sheet. So that way you can make sure that you're one of the 13 teams battling it out. Oh, you... You can participate in the Olympics? Yeah. So I don't know yeah. why I missed that part. Oh, I thought yeah, that no, you had already look- hired some we're- hulky Olympians <laughs> or something like that. Oh, no. We're still actively looking for people to sign up, so check out our Facebook page and the event page as well. Oh, Although that's... somebody already claimed New Jersey, but they didn't actually list a name. So if you sign up as New Jersey, can you call me at the museum? Because I'd like you to participate. That sounds good, New Jersey. We'll get you on there. <laughs> and 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 Amy, you're you're... You've got all sorts of other general things to say about the museum, but let's reiterate them. When are you open? What's so exciting about coming? We are open Tuesday through Friday, 10 to 5, Saturday from 12 to 5, and every first Sunday of the month, we are open free from 1 to 4. If the Sunday falls on a holiday, we're open the second Sunday, and you can check our website events calendar because I just put everything up yesterday that leads us into December, so it should be all accurate, but if not, you can always reach me at the museum. Um, and we are also at farmers markets and other outreach programs. We really like to get involved in the community. How so? I challenge you <laughs> on this one, Amy. How did you get? How do you? What's the connection there? Why would I see you at the farmers? Because market? you can plant a colonial herb that would have been grown at the Party Morris House. Oh, like so, what? Like thyme and rosemary and basil and all kinds of stuff. So Julia actually is yeah. our our outreach staff person for the farmers markets and. Uh, it's also you can stop by and talk to her about more programs at the museum. It's actually been really great being there this summer. I've met so many people who have either been to the museum a thousand times and love it or haven't been there and are so excited to plan their trip. Oh, that's very, very, very neat. I don't know why I didn't notice that yet. But next time I'll go and I already have all those herbs planted. So I think we're taken care of. Okay. Anyways, um, I'm certainly excited to get back to the museum, which I haven't been to, and I'm looking forward to seeing the exhibits you have now, the exhibits you have coming up. Um, I just, I always have that one, well, the one last question, and we could start with Mary, is, is you know, what's your final pitch to somebody who's never been to the museum like me? Why would you, why would I spend the afternoon there? Give give me one last sentence of, of encouragement to get me off the couch or to, to plan some time to take a road trip to the New Haven Museum? I think you'll be surprised. You could be inspired as well, but you'll definitely be surprised because I think there are so many things on exhibit at one time that you'll find something that appeals to you or that speaks to you. Okay, a little surprise. What do you think, Amy? You can take a voyage on the Neptune with Captain Green. You can go through the carriage industry you can learn about the struggle for freedom and you can learn about how New Haven was the home to America's first trader and first spy all in one afternoon. Deal. 
for me, it just shows a sense of place. New Haven is such an old city and we have such a long history and we're going to go forward. So it brings those two together, the past and the future. And that's what I love about it. Excellent. Well, there are three solid reasons among many, many other during this episode. I'm, I'm really grateful for you to have listened. If you liked what you heard, I obviously hope you'll listen again in two weeks. Definitely, definitely share this episode with others who are interested in New Haven history, who are interested in visual art, who aren't interested in either of those things and can come to be surprised, as Mary said about that. Um, and of course, go, go visit. Just go to the New Haven Museum, take the afternoon and enjoy it. Um, my deep gratitude to Mary and Amy and Julia and as always to Lucy for making everything happen here. And take care. We'll see you soon. <laughs>